Welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. And this podcast is all about helping you, the members of Sacred City Church, follow Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life. And I got all the guys with me today. Guys, would you uh, introduce yourself? Rob Spikestra, Pastor of Discipleship. Kevin Kinor, Pastoral Assistant. Alex Tate, Sacred City Youth Director. All right. And what we're going to do on this podcast is we're going to interact with a article that has been going around, going around the interwebs for quite a while. It was written in February of this year. I've mentioned it a couple times in the last few months uh, in my sermons. I've been talking with the elders about it. And it's this idea, um, first off, it's, it's written by Aaron Wren at First Things, and we will link the article in the podcast description, in this podcast description. And I would really encourage you, it's kind of a longer article, it might take you 15, 20 minutes to read it, but go click on it, read it, it's going to go in maybe a little more detail than what we can hit on it today. But the idea is that America has w- progressed from what he calls a positive world to a neutral world to a negative world, all right? And basically what that means let me let me go let me read or actually Rob would you read his um, articulation of what a positive world was and actually before you do let me just okay. say this mm-hmm. let me I'm going to set this up many people have noticed a shift at Sacred City particularly in the past probably 2 years they've noticed a shift in the way that I speak the way that I'm engaging with the with cultural issues um Maybe they've noticed me being a little bit more combatant, a little bit more um, um, not as the, the big word was whims, uh, winsome, not as winsome as I used to be. I've even talked on this podcast about moving a little bit away from some of my, my influence influences of, of being influenced by Tim Keller. Keller has influenced me um, greatly in, in the way that I communicate, the way that I evangelize, the way that I've structured this church in a lot of ways. Um, being gospel-centered, and but most importantly, the way that I engage cultural topics in my sermon. And many people have noticed in the past few years that I, I, I've, I've changed. Um, I've been communicating things in a little bit different way. And I couldn't articulate why or what, what that change was until... Because I, I felt like I, I, I did change because I felt something shift in the culture. I mm. felt something change in the culture. Mm. And now I needed to um, kind of combat it. I needed to come, I needed to come in, a, in, a, in more of a warrior's posture, posture and, and declare the truth instead of kind of coming alongside things and seeing what's good and what's bad and, and being kind of more, uh, have a... a um, mediatorial role, like kind of being in the middle, being in the middleman. So Keller famously has a th- the third way. There's those on the right and those on the left, but then there's a middle way. There's a third way, and I've stepped away from that. And many people have felt that in our church a little bit, and they've wondered where that came from. And um, I've tried to articulate that in several different ways, but I feel like Aaron Wren in this article kind of hits the nail on the head, honestly, and he nails some things down. And I think it might bring some clarity to us uh, why things have changed at Sacred City and then why things have really changed in our culture, right? right. And so let's, let's talk about this. What, what is a positive world? Okay, yeah. And the way he starts this off, he says, within the story of American secularization, there have been three distinct stages. And here's the first one, positive world, pre-1994. Society at large retains a mostly positive view of Christianity. To be known as a good church-going man remains being a part of being an upstanding citizen. Publicly being a Christian is a status enhancer. Christian moral norms are the basic moral norms of society, and violating them can bring negative consequences. Okay, so first thing I want you to see here is he says this positive world <laughs> is pre-1994 in America. Yeah. So that's a long time, yeah. right? Because we were here on, I mean, America, we, we were on this continent a couple hundred years before even the Declaration of Independence, mm-hmm. before we had a Bill of Rights. And so 
he's saying there that that's a long time, right? right. All the way up until 1994, mm-hmm. Christianity was viewed in a positive light. Now that is not by everyone in society, but that's by the majority of people in society. Mm-hmm. So if you put a little Christian fish on your on your business card, people would see that as a good thing. Oh, this is a good man. He goes to church. This is a good man. He's a moral man, right? I, I, I like this guy. I want to do business. I want to do business with Christians. I want a Christian leading my school. I want a Christian leading this, this government, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, the majority of our presidents identified as some form of Christian, right? They identified as some form of Christian. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this is pre-1994, okay? So that's a positive world. Now, here's, here's what they are, they, he's going to say. There were some specific missional strategies evangelistic strategies for living in a neutral world, mm-hmm. okay? Some of those strategies were the seeker-sensitive model. You guys know the seeker-sensitive model? So basically, everyone is kind of moral, and so when you come to church, we're going to teach you a little bit just how to be a better person, how to have a better family. We're going to engage, we're going to give you what you are, what you want to hear, which is positive family values, moral values, how to be more successful, and we're going to give you a little bit of gospel mixed in there. Right? And that's how we're going to get you. And then there was the more of the fundamentalist camp that were preach, still you know, preaching hard truth. And they were a little bit more kind of isolationist in what, what they would call like Christian ghettos. Okay? But then society goes to what he calls a neutral world. Mm-hmm. What's a neutral world? Yeah, neutral world, uh, 1994 to 2014. Society takes a neutral stance toward Christianity. Christianity no longer has privileged status, but is not disfavored. Being publicly known as a Christian has neither a positive nor a negative impact on one's social status. Christianity is a valid option within a pluralistic public square. Christian moral norms retain some residual effect. All right. One of the things I want you to see. So we saw, I'm not, I don't, can't do the math off the top of my head, but you're talking 400 years, let's just say 450 years, it took Quite a long time to get to this. Yeah. yeah. So, so Christianity was viewed in a positive light yeah. for 450 years yeah. until it gets to neutral world. And the neutral world only lasts, according to him, for what, 20, 20 years? 20 years, yeah. 20 years. So what I would say is the liberal view of the world, prog- the progressive understanding of the world has picked up steam. They've got, they've gained ground, they've, they've, They've taken over some public, inst- many public institutions, almost all of the educational stu- institutions in our and in society, the uh, the positions of power in media and government and these different things. These liberal ideas have taken hold, and so the neutral world only lasts twenty years. That that's a really fast change. So think about what's happened in those twenty years. What happened in those twenty years? We had homosexual marriage, or no, we had, uh, um, we had pr- we had this. The the uh, normalization of homosexuality, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then we had the promise that, hey, this isn't going to be a big deal. We had like civil unions then, or George Bush was saying, hey, I support civil unions, but I don't su- support homosexual marriage. And, and we kind of had this neutral world where um, society at large still thought of Christianity as mainly good, as mostly positive, and... It's good to be a church-going man, but you're not really meant to bring that religion mm. or that faith into the public square. Sure. Mm. So George Bush could have he had his famous like compassionate conservatism, yeah. right? Um, still, being a Christian is a, is a status enhancer, and Christian moral norms are the basic moral norms of society. Can you imagine going back pre you know in uh, or I'm sorry. Um, being publicly known as a Christian is neither positive nor a negative impact on one's social status. So it's just an neutral, right? Yeah, yeah. And Christianity is a valid option within a pluralistic public square, but Christian moral norms retain some residual effects. So back then we say what, uh, uh, you know, a man cannot become a woman. Well, yeah, duh. Right. Uh, like you're just going back to 2014. Duh. Yeah, we know that. Let's be honest. You can say jokes yeah. and not be canceled. Yeah, you could say jokes and not be canceled. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, society was, uh, had a neutral stance Toward Christianity. Okay, now listen. What got pop? Many things got popularized during, during this neut- neutral stance. Again, the uh, seeker-sensitive model, the mega church 
uh, Christianity took off during yep. this mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. You got, got people like Andy Stanley. You got people like Craig Rochelle. Mm-hmm. Um, you got people like Tim Keller. Tim Keller was excellent at operating in a kind of a neutral environment. Even though New York City is more hostile, you know, has secularized faster than everyone else, he was great at um, taking kind of a neutral stance mm-hmm. and declaring the positives of Christianity and kind of being really light on the hard things. Mm. Um, I, I have done a search of his sermons because I have all the sermon archives in my Logos Bible st- software. And in over 20 years of preaching, he only mentioned the word uh, abortion, mm. like, I, I can't remember if it was like 35 times. Mm. It was like 35 times. Mm. In the city of New York City mm. that aborts more African-American babies than gives birth to them. Mm. Mm. And while still speaking about the dangers of racism, right? Yeah. But he refuses to hit probably the one of the most racist realities uh, in, in that society in the, the abortion of mm. so black his babies. church took off during like right after 9-11. Yeah. Right. So his, his so well, his church was already taken off, but then 9-11 happens. Mm-hmm. And then, yes, he gets, he is, is pushed forward and he takes, he takes a very, prominent uh, stage. He's he's seen positively by, he's been quoted in all kind of different pu- publications yeah. and he's seen mostly as like, this is what you should be. Like, mm-hmm. this is what good Christianity looks like. Yeah, uh, yeah and it's a, it's a, you know, it, there is the positive, the, the positive side is this, is this cultural engagement that he and others like him used that they were wanting to and, you know, admittedly so, wanting to engage the people who are on the other side of understanding the, the truth of God, he was pretty good at that. And so he was he was looked upon both from the Christian, uh, you know, kind of world in terms of evangelicals and those who are non-evangelicals as a man is almost kind of bringing us together. He, yeah. he, 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 was, he was able to kind of you know, really reach both both camps, if you will. So. so the liberal progressive elites could look at him and go, "This is the way. This is the way Christians should be." Yeah. He's engaging with the elites. He's he's giving them kind of what they want. <clears throat> he's giving them a high church form, a church they can go and meet God in these churches. He's non-offensive. Um, so here's one example. So he would say things like to to a society that's steeped in feminism. Okay, radical feminism, New York City. <clears throat> That basically says women can do whatever men, whatever men can do. He would say things like, "Christianity is the is where feminism came from." Like he would say things like, "Women were demeaned until Christianity came on the scene, and Christianity elevated the prominence of women. Christianity gave value to women, which is true, like in compared to, you know." Other civilizations and even Greco-Roman civilization, Christianity elevated the dignity and value of of human beings and women particularly. So there, you guys are men and women are both made in the dig, made in the image of God with dignity, value, and worth. Mm-hmm. So he would come along and say, like, you have feminist values. Well, you got that from Christianity, and that's true. But then he wouldn't necessarily point out the lies that they were believing about feminism. Mm. Sure, mm. right? Okay. So he would let him, oh yeah, sure, women, you know, women can work outside the home right away. Like just, you know, like he wouldn't call out the dangers of sending your kids off to mm. be educated by, by the world or dropping your kids off at daycare so that both man and, and female can go pursue a career. Mm-hmm. Like, is that really the best thing for you? Mm-hmm. Or does God put a primacy on the home and Christians should be focusing on the home and the taking care of children? So these are just some, some areas that the left would point out and say, that's exactly how you should minister. And, and listen, I've learned so much from Tim and I value Tim. Tim's very smart and I appreciate him. And I used so much of his stuff for the first probably eight years of our church um, because I grew up more in a fundamentalist, charismatic background that was more, that saw the world through the lens of cultural war and didn't really see how to engage the culture yeah. and the cultural elites. Sure. Okay. So, so question there. Yeah. Um, so as a pastor, and of course, a lot of people are looking up to you, um, and you're saying you're going to Tim Keller for a lot of information and, and how are you, you're viewing your sermons and how you're delivering your sermons. Should we be cautious as, as pastors to not get sucked too far into that? 
um, because this person could be way off three years later. And instead of you following the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit has for you, you could be following Tim Keller. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You should never tie yourself to one man. That's for sure. This is what C.S. Lewis talks about. Um, one of the he says anybody who reads, you should read two new books, or you should. I think he says every book you read, every new book you read, you should read one book by a dead person. Mm-hmm. And he says something. I'm, I'm quoting this from the top of my head because you get the cool breeze of the centuries blowing through your mind. So, mm-hmm. so basically, we're all prone to thinking like our generation, mm-hmm. right? We're shaped by the cultural pressures around us yeah. and we respond to the questions people are asking around us, yeah. right? That's how we respond. And our culture asks certain questions. Like right now, what is a woman? That's a li- yeah. real question people are asking. What is a man? Mm-hmm. You go back 30, 20 years, people weren't asking that question. Yeah. They knew the answer to that question, right. right? And so we have to respond to the questions people are asking in our culture. Yeah. So it's you can get... The, the word I use is myopic. You can get very singular focused on one preacher, one pastor, one season of time, one mm-hmm. uh, one cultural fa- one one aspect of c- cultural fascination. And so you should read other people. Yeah. So I read a lot of different. Yeah. I read dead guys. I quote a lot of dead guys. I read living guys. I read different swaths yeah. from different backgrounds of, mm-hmm. of people, and. I read Puritans and I read John Calvin and I read guys that are, and I read St. Augustine. I read people from centuries ago. Yeah. Right. And so I want to be influenced by all of them. So yes, it's a danger. You can just be a complete Tim Keller fanboy. And here's what happened. Here's what we're about to see that worked. If you wanted to be successful in a neutral world, you could be a Tim Keller fanboy and just copy and paste. Yeah. And that kind of go well for you. And you get a lot of edge, highly educated kind of cultural elites, upper middle class people that really uh, flock to that way of engaging with culture. Yeah. I think that's good that you said that because so many people could be hearing this podcast and you know, you saying Tim Keller, Tim Keller, Tim Keller. It's like, okay, now like what is he gonna be into next? This is where our church is going. What is he gonna be into next? And it's not the Holy Spirit, it's whoever this guy is reading at the points at this time. So I think it's good that you you broke that down in that way so that the people can know. Yeah. I mean, and it's not, it's not just who is he, there's always going to be influences. Tim yeah. Keller is always going to be one of my influences. Mm-hmm. John Piper is always going to be one of my influences. John Calvin is always going to be one of my influences. Abraham Kuyper is going to be one of my influences. Cornelius Van Til is going to be one of my influences. Mm-hmm. Doug Wilson is going to be one of my influences. Yeah. Mark Driscoll, better or worse, is going to be one of my interests. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my influences. C.S. Lewis is going to be one of my yeah, influences. Yeah. J.R.R. Tolkien is going to be one of my influences. <laughs> if you know, it's not that just we are learners. Yeah. We are we're in we're being sanctified progressively. We're coming to understand the scriptures mm-hmm. in a progressive manner, and so there's always going to be brothers and sisters Christians as I'm continually learning that are going to influence me. Right? Yeah. We're, we're all that way, but it's not just who is going to influence you next, the culture changes. Yeah. And when the culture changes, we have to change our approach to culture because the mm. culture is then is asking different questions. Yeah. Mm. And I noticed this mm. pointedly in 2020 when mm. the, the situation with George Floyd happened. Mm-hmm. And I had been... Now, I'm not going to get into this too big, because it's a really deep conversation. But this idea of social justice mm. has been an argument for probably 60 years, okay? And people have said that it was the social gospel coming in and in, 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 in influencing Christianity in a liberal direction. And, but Can you the, give a quick snippet what that means? Okay, the social gospel is... Jesus Christ came to, um, when, when he says he came to deliver captives and he came to set the captive free and things mm-hmm. like that, the social gospel sees the main problems with society as not um, personal sin and you, you have a sin against a holy God and you need forgiveness and you need salvation. They seem 
the primary, the, the primary problem is actually social in nature. We, you, the way it was said recently is systemic. It's a systemic problem, okay? Mm-hmm. And so the, the gospel isn't just to be saved or is, doesn't just save individuals, but the gospel frees people, frees society, liberates humanity, um, things like this, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, I knew this argument, but I also knew the context in Iowa, and our people weren't thinking that way. Our people weren't thinking that way at all when I planted this church. Mm-hmm. So there was people saying, you shouldn't use... Um, the word social justice, because that's, that's a Marxist understanding of, of human nature, a Marxist understanding of sin, all these different things. And it can be liberalism infecting the church. And I was like, I'm using the word social justice to reflect the Bible's understanding of justice as it reached the social realm. So I, I am, to me, the word social justice is synonymous with biblical justice, but I just want people to see that it has social ramifications. How we treat our brother, yeah, right? The, sure. the second table of the law, et cetera, et cetera. Right. How we deal with racism, how we deal with these things. Like, there's social dimensions. Mm-hmm. The gospel has social di- social dimensions, right? Yeah. To it. Yep. Now, I did that successfully until 2020. So he's saying that we became a negative world in 2014. He's probably right, but I didn't feel it. Until 2020. Hmm. Well, just like the, you know, all the uh, fashion and everything hits the bigger cities first. Yeah. And then it kind of slowly <laughs> so, gets to us. So and this is you, the same yeah. same thing, right? So let me tell you how I, 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 I used it. I, I said, I was, all of a sudden, I was being called a Marxist and I was being called all these different things. I was being called a liberal. When I had, I have never, I'll just say it, I've never voted for a Democrat in my life. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll just say it. Um, and I have, I, I'm, pro-life and I'm not, I'm not going to go into all of that, but all of a sudden I was, the way I was teaching on race or the way I was confronting race or the way I was talking about race, all of a sudden I got called a social Marxist and I'm like, I I am not a social Marxist. I hate Marxism with all my gut, with with all my guts, you know, all my heart. And, and, but one of the reasons that happened was, as I said in a sermon, I said, listen, something about we are here to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. And I said, what do you think renew the city means? Renew the city means we, are, we want social justice. Yeah. We want justice to flow out into the streets. We, mm-hmm. want ju- we want justice to happen out in the marketplace. We want justice to happen in all areas of society. We want to see, and in my mind, I'm saying, we want to see biblical justice out there. Yeah. We want to see racial equal opportunity, right? We want to mm-hmm. see people, you know, loving each other and not being right, all these different things all, and, and equal opportunity for all races and all classes. Yeah. But, and I had said, I've, I had been saying that for nine years, I think at that time. Okay. Yeah. And everyone got it. All of a sudden, I remember I was under the tent, you know, cause COVID restrictions. Yeah. And, and I said, Sorry. I've been saying social justice from the very beginning and I'm going to keep saying social justice. Yeah. And like 20 people left our church. But I think it's good too that you're like actually saying what you mean by social justice. But then also like for those that have, you know, left the church because of a certain reason or if they didn't approach you or whatnot, like we shouldn't fear, man. We we only should fear God. We should be able to come to you and ask the questions of what you meant by that and be able to have a a decent conversation um, to love our brother and and just deal with communication. (laughs) Yeah, I would appreciate that. Some people did and they stayed. Mm -hmm. Some people didn't and they left. Yeah. And... And the, the bottom line is we were working off of different definitions. Yeah. I was not aware that these people had been educated in such a way that they knew some of the dangerous um, connotations to the word social justice mm-hmm. and the way that the left and the Marxists have used the word social justice. Now, I was using that word because it had not been corrupted so far in our, in yeah. our Davenport, Iowa society. Yeah. People knew that I was talking, people that knew me knew I was talking about biblical justice, the way the Bible, I've taught through Exodus, yeah. I've taught through, you know, these different things. I mean, you can say that about a lot of words. I mean, yeah. woke, it, it meant something two years ago, but now when you say woke, people are like, oh, what? now people are asking the question, what do you really mean by that? You yeah. know, and I think it's good that you asked the question so we can have a conversation about it, but now it means completely, something completely different, yes. you know? So I realized something happened around there. Yeah. 
and 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 I've had to admit, okay, I think I made a mistake because I didn't under I didn't know that everybody else's definition had changed to that word. And I assumed that my definition still was working and it was okay. Yeah. And so now I won't use that word. I'll use biblical justice now. Yeah. You know, I'll use bi- biblical justice. But so this yeah, so that fits in this uh, this negative world. We haven't defined it yet. Yeah, so here's do, the negative world. Yeah, yeah, so you want to read that. Okay, negative world, 2014 to the present. Society has come to have a negative view of Christianity. Being known as a Christian is a social negative, particularly in the elite domains of society. Christian morality is expressly repudiated and seen as a threat to the public good and to the public moral order. Subscribing to Christian moral views or violating the secular moral order brings negative consequences. Okay. So I'm not going to go into why they, I don't have time to go into why they say it started in 2014. But basically, the elites in our society, the elites in technology, the elites in social media, the elites in, in um, media, the elites in the educational institutions, um, view Christianity because they've embraced um, the sexual revolution. And it's come to its, basically, I would say its fullest expression and its, uh, I think it's, it's death knell here. Like it's, it's coming to it's, it's coming to absolute chaos. Mm. So they believe men can be women. They believe women can be men. They believe nearly all forms of sexuality are now good, right? They believe it's good that transgender men, so men who dress up like women, can go, should be going to public libraries and twerking in front of children for... Um, transgender story hour, right? Yeah. Like drag queen. It's called, that's what, that's yeah. the word I was looking for. We couldn't figure it out we a couple podcasts ago. Drag queen story hour. That that mm-hmm. is a moral good. Yeah. And they look at, and they believe that gay is good. They believe trans is good. They believe gender queer is good. They believe gender confused is good. They believe LGBTQ plus and plus means there will never, they will never stop being yeah. weird iterations of human personality and identity. And they've so embraced that that they reject all forms of Christianity. They reject Christianity wholesale. And the society as a... So the liberal elite institution as a whole have done this. So question here. Like, I I think all these things are important and I agree um, what you're saying. But, like, a a lot of people could be like, is this not loving to my neighbor that's not a Christian? So are are we only speaking to the Christian? Because the people that are not Christians are dead, right? They, they, the stuff that we're saying makes no sense, mm. right? So, so where are we at with that? Okay, so you're asking about, is this a good missional strategy to reach my neighbor? They are now in a negative world, which means they have no functional understanding of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Not only of Christianity, but of the natural world. So they don't believe men are men and women are women and men cannot be women. They don't believe that. Right? They don't believe that. So when they come to a church and they hear me just flippantly say men should be masculine and they should reject femininity and they should, re- they re- should reject being effeminate or they should reject, you know, what? Oh, that's super offensive. How could, I can't believe they yeah. would say that. Or that homosexuality is a sin and if you don't repent of it, you will go to hell. Super offended by that. Mm-hmm. Right? Or tra- transgenderism is a sin against God and a sin against nature. And they're going to be super offended by it, right? Yeah. And, I, and I'm not going to be the the, the wins. I'm not going. I'm I'm not. I don't sound very winsome to them, mm-hmm. right? So I think you you are correct, and that it that it 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 raises some difficulty. It makes yeah. it more difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like it makes it more difficult when I if I move to China, and I try to communicate the gospel to a Chinese culture. I actually have to, in, the, in one word, contextualize myself into that environment. I have to learn Chinese. I have to learn how do they see the world, how do they see humanity, and I have to be able to speak to it. The, and so I think you're right. It makes it more difficult. Here's the, the, the pushback. I don't think Sunday morning is primarily meant for that. Mm. 
I think Sunday morning is primarily meant to instruct the saints. Mm. Okay? And here's why. If I speak that way, if I speak in a whimsical, nuanced, middle of the road, Tim Keller way on Sunday morning, my own son walks out confused. Mm-hmm. Wait, are there gender norms? Mm-hmm. Is gender real? Yeah. Did, did God create us male and female? Did he create us male and female? Like, can men only marry women? Right? What are moral norms? What are the, the biblical moral norm, norms? My primary job as a pastor is to shepherd the flock of God that God's given me. Yeah. My primary job is not to reach the lost. Okay, okay so now quick. as hold on. Yeah. As a Christian, yeah. I want to reach the lost. Mm-hmm. Right? I want I desperately want to reach the lost. I want to love my neighbors. I want to I want to lead my my kids' friends to the to the Lord. I want to lead my friends to the Lord. Yeah. And so I can still use some of those missional strategies personally mm. in my own relationships. Yeah. But my approach on Sunday morning hmm. is going to be different. So what do you say to the people that are actually the sheep that are offended? Is it their conviction that maybe they just don't know what the word says? First off, one of the the weird um, realities or the strange realities that I've noticed is that many people get offended for someone else. For someone else? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. So they know a gay person. They know a trans person. Mm -hmm. They know a feminist. They know, you know... um, they know whatever somebody and they're like oh, I can't believe you would say that that's so offensive to them that's so mm-hmm. offensive how would you say that if they were here they would think this, this, this. and partially I would say well they're not here that's yeah. not who I'm speaking to I'm mm-hmm. speaking to you and I'm speaking to your children yeah. and many here's the, the danger the real danger this is a real change that's happened since 2014 yeah. and most parents and most adults aren't even aware of it yeah but the change has already happened in their children. Mm-hmm. Their children are growing up in it. So their children are aware of it. Their children, their, their children are gender confused. The children are sexually confused. The children are technolo- technologically confused. Mm. They're, they're, they don't know who, what their identity is. They're being taught all kind of chaos in, in school and on social media and all these different things. Yeah. And the parents aren't aware of it yet. The parents mm-hmm. still think we're living in a neutral world. Mm-hmm. Because their friends are still living in a neutral world. But the younger generation is not. It's very much a negative world. And so I'm communicating, and I've I've noticed this change, and you've even mentioned this change. I'm communicating to the kids. I'm speaking to the teenagers. I'm speaking to the young people. I'm speaking to the college kids. Mm -hmm. Because the left, the progressive, know that we are in a negative world. And what they're doing in the in, in colleges right now is they're going for the jugular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're going to kill. Mm-hmm. They have a totalizing worldview that wants to crush Christianity. Yeah. That's, that's their goal. I think it's good too that you said that um, because if we don't protect our, our youth, like who do we have coming up in the church? You know, and I think uh, as parents, we have to be aware of these things because um, if not, like when our kids come to us and you have no language, you have nothing to give them to be able to have apologetics to, you know, protect themselves, they're going to, like, lean more to the uh, to the social media and all these different things that are teaching them because, as a parent, you make no sense. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. You're, so the parent has never heard the questions. Yeah, exactly. So they can't, they can't have good answers to yeah. the questions. We laugh as adults. Most adults laugh when someone says, what is a woman? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? And a Supreme Court judge says, I'm not a biologist. Yeah. I can't answer that question. Mm-hmm. We laugh at it. You shouldn't laugh at it. Yeah. Your kids, many of, if, if, not everybody's kids, but the, the, major, the majority of the younger generation, that's a legitimate question they're asking and they don't yeah. know. And it really comes down to your source of authority because what our children are growing up with, they're growing up with in a world that says your source of authority is what is your, yourself. Yeah. It is what is within your own heart. Look mm-hmm. inside and that is what is true and right, you know, and beautiful. That's what you determine what it is. And so so they're using that as their source of authority, but as you know, as a child changes from day to day to day, so no mm-hmm. wonder there's such a great confusion within their own lives because, I mean, I remember like 
as I remember as a kid, my my desires and my you know my wants and and what I thought. I, I don't know how many times my change of my favorite color you know changed <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> over yeah. the years. You know, kind of a kind of a feel to it. So so they're they're coming out of what we had assumed. What we assume is that there is some kind of source of authority, or of course, within the context of a, with the, with the church within the Christian church, that there is only one authority, and that is the Word of God. That is not a given in any way. For any any person growing up yeah. now, and and so it so, so they really are truly confused when you when you state a truth from the Word of God. They're like, well, they it, it they don't get that. I mean, yeah. and yeah. we have taken that for granted, and that mm-hmm. it, it really gets going back down to helping them to understand where do we have our ultimate source source of authority. Now, the the the, the offense you you had mentioned the individual who is is in one sense offended on behalf of somebody else. Most likely it's because they've had a relationship with that person and they've had in some way that they see that individual as made in the image of God. That's, that's mm-hmm. true. And so they see that person struggling and they feel for that person, want to minister to that person. And so when you tell them, when they hear truth, kind of you know, secondhand, if you will, they hear truth on their behalf, it, they know what it's going to do. It is going to offend them. It's going to hurt them. And I think that's where they struggle. So we now the question is, how do we minister to people mm-hmm. who are in are living these lives, uh, lies, if I might say, living yeah. these lives that are lies? How do we minister to them the truth in a way that's going to 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 communicate love to them? I mean, you know, that, I think that's the challenge. That, yeah. That's the in the negative society. How do we? We just said that the Sunday gathering is not the place of yeah. which we're probably going to be getting. You know, it's it's not the moment of of bringing people into to, to Christ. It's going to be us engaged in these people's lives. Yes. Now, how is it that we minister? So to let them? me let me address that. So, when Christianity is a positive good, yeah. right? You invite your neighbor to church, and they're like, "Oh, sure, I'll I'll come check it out," mm-hmm. and then. The preacher preaches a gospel sermon, and, and it lines up with that person's worldview of man and even sin, and mm-hmm. and you know, oh yeah, I do need redemption, you know, and so it makes sense to them, and the yeah. pre- and, and so the the sermon connects with them, and they can get saved and join the church. In a neutral world, they come in maybe questioning, oh, oh, I, I like this music. Oh, they got, got nice coffee out front. Oh, that pastor wasn't right. He wasn't left. He was kind of middle of the road. He was very intelligent. He engaged things from a different perspective. He challenged me. He taught me. Ooh, he uplifted my spirit. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I embrace Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But when you invite a person in the negative world into the Sunday gathering, it should feel totally foreign to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like entering into a, diff- a totally different culture. <clears throat> okay? Right. And so they're going to need to be acclimated to that. They're going to be need to be coached and say, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is what Sunday morning's about. It's about God. It's about us. We talk differently. We sing differently. We think differently. It's going to be totally foreign to you, but it's God. It's what you're missing. Yeah. It's what you're lacking. Mm-hmm. It's what you need more than anything else, okay? So we can't just invite somebody on Sunday mo- to Sunday morning anymore. We, we, but but I say to even speak to that though is is almost as if like we we even have a, a sermon series about this is like understand why we do what we do so that you're able to explain yes. and be able to have like the language to be able to like love them well to let them know what they're getting themselves into so yes. that they don't have to just address the ask the pastor I'm yes. gonna stay super late and ask the pastor it's like no like as a member. Like, and as a person that's inviting someone into the service, like, you should be aware of why we're doing what we're doing. So, Sunday morning is to form us as Christians Mm -hmm. in the right worship of God. It's practice, baby. It's practice. It's Mm -hmm. meant to shape us in a certain direction. We're we're doing this to shape us, to shape our children, right? Mm -hmm. We're not doing this primarily to reach the lost on Sunday morning. But here is, here's the big deal. So, we're meant to be shaped through the liturgy, yeah. and then sent out to be on mission, mm-hmm. right? So where where are the lost? Where where are we meant to come alongside the lost? Yeah, in our homes, mm. around our dinner tables. Yeah. You are a missionary. Yeah, preach. I'm not the chief missionary of this church anymore. Yeah, you you are the missionary of this church. So here's a great example. I think the book is called "The Most Unlikely Convert" or in the world or something like that. It's by Rosaria Butterfield. Rosaria Butterfield was a lesbian. She was in a lesbian relationship for many years. She was a 
elite professor, I think at Syracuse University. At Syracuse University, she even wrote literally the, the book on LGBTQ plus inclusive language and at the school yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And she was going to write a book. I think the book was on the dangers of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And in order to write this book, she wanted to go and she wanted to interview some right wing person, some, some conservative Christian. And she found this pastor in her town and she emailed him and he said, sure, come on over, come on over for dinner. And he invited her over for dinner and she came over for dinner and he invited, so they, they made a good, good meal. He answered all of her questions. He did it in a kind and humble and gentle and graceful way, but did not compromise the truth at all. Mm -hmm. Stood firm in his convictions. And something about that was intriguing to her. Now, this process was long. This process was dozens, maybe hundreds of dinners. And eventually, they're singing worship in their home. They're singing hymns in their, in their home around the dinner table. She's seeing grace. She's seeing free. And then she's saying these people are actually, though their, their words are so sharp, their word, the truth is so hurtful to me, they're more gracious, more kind, more hospitable than anybody I've ever, I've ever known. So they're living it. Yeah. She yeah. says the LGBT com community, as soon as you do something that offends them, they cut you off. Yeah. What happens in liberal progressive society right now? If you say something racist, if you say something sexist, if you say something ableist, that's a new thing now if you don't know what that is, they cut you off. They cancel you. They cancel your platform. Um, Babylon B got, got canceled from Twitter for, for saying that a man is a woman or man cannot be a woman. A man cannot be a woman. Mm. And um, so it, eventually she sees these people are the real deal. There's yeah. real grace here. There's real truth here. There's a real God here. Eventually, she comes on Sunday morning, hates it, comes back, hates it less. <laughs> yeah. Long story short, she comes to faith. She turns from her sin. She turns from her lesbian ways. She breaks up with her, her whatever it was at the time, I can't remember, girlfriend or spouse. And now, years later, she's a Christian. Yeah. She's married to a man. Praise God. She's a pastor's wife. Mm -hmm. She's a Christian author. Mm -hmm. And she opens her home and she has a hospitality ministry that's outstanding. So mm -hmm. the unlikely convert by Rosaria Butterfield, something like that. You should look that book up. That, I believe that should be our primary missional strategy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. But <clears throat> the Sunday morning gathering, my chief responsibility is to shape disciples of Christ and I don't want I don't want our kids to be lost. Yeah, but when you say something from the stage, and it's kind of like mind blowing to some people, or maybe you know it could be a, a sensitive topic. Um, should you give uh, ex example and detail of why you're saying what you're saying, but then also language to the people so that they can be able to love whoever else is in the culture? I hope I hope I can. Sometimes okay. time doesn't permit. Sometimes yeah. I'm not even aware. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, like I said, culture shifts and I'm not even aware of it yeah. that it's shifted yet. So I'm, I'm trying to, I want to define my terms better, yep. but I, I'm not always, I'm not going to do that perfectly all mm -hmm. the time. Right. <clears throat> um, here's the other aspect in a negative culture. I think we have to build parallel Christian institutions. Okay. Break no it down. Okay. So in the neutral world, you could, you could seek to join secular institutions and you could still, you know, reach the top levels. You could still influence them. You could, could still shape them because Christianity was just a new, it was neutral. You know what I mean? We, we have, it's like um, Britain, you know, I think they just got a new prime minister. I think I, off the top of my head, I, I think he's. Oh, I can't remember what he is now, but he, he's got a different religion. He's got a different religion, and I, I can't remember. So you've got a Christian king, and you've got, a, um, I don't know if he's, uh, I don't want to say Buddhist, but I don't know. But you've got, you've got like somebody of the Islam religion, somebody of the Buddhist religion. You've got all these different religions, and they're all functioning together. That's like a neutral society. But in our society, we're in, we're in the negative, we're in the negative world. So Christ, so literally, the, our, even our corporations hate Christians right now. Yeah. Like, you know? And so what I think has to happen, you're not going to be accepted in these 
institutions, in educational institutions, in corporate institutions, in political institutions. So we're going to have to begin to form our own parallel institutions that are distinctly Christian. Because what we call now wokeness, it's going to destroy itself. It's chaos, Mm -hmm. right? And so these things are going to sink, and we want to have a thick Christian society over here that can still function. Yeah. Christian love the people that got canceled. Christian families. Hindu. Hindu. That's what he is. He's a Hindu. He's a Hindu. Thank you, brother. (laughs) Google. Thank Google. Uh, He's a Hindu. So, so that's liberalism right there. You look at lots of different religions all function together. It's more of a neutral world that sees religion as not really influencing much of society. We're in a different world. We're in a negative world. And so we need to build Christian families, Christian businesses, Christian churches, Christian schools, all right? And hopefully, Lord willing, convert enough people that want to see Christian government. Yeah. And I think the important piece is that you're talking about, like, I mean, I know the pastor's saying a lot of stuff from the stage, but then also, like, knowing why we do what we do, but then also doing those things, right? Because you're, you're being watched. And sometimes, like, a lot of people, they don't, they don't open a Bible. A lot of us yeah. know that people we know don't open a Bible, and the only Jesus they see is you. Right. And if you're saying that you're following this, this Christ and you're doing something like on the side in their eyes that doesn't match up, it's, yeah. it's going to be a hindrance. Sometimes I, I just process things verbally mm-hmm. by talking and just this conversation has helped me process this. So we might, we might have reached the point where the old way of I'm just going to bring my neighbor to church and let the pastor convince them of the gospel and lead them to Christ. Those days might be over. Yeah. Those days might be over. For sure. You are an evangelist. Mm-hmm. You around your dinner table. Yeah. Hospitality. <laughs> the fall happened when Adam and Eve ate a meal with the devil. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. They listened to the devil and they ate the apple and, and fellowship with God was broken. Right? Yeah. And we see all through meal, all we see all through scripture. God having meals with humanity and trying to bring redemption. And ultimately, we see Christ the night he's betrayed. He has a meal, his, his last supper, right? Yeah. And then we move all the way over into, was it Revelation 19, where the, we have the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? Like meals mean something. Hospitality means something. Yeah. And you inviting your neighbor over for dinner and them seeing something they've probably never seen before. Mm-hmm. Christians pray. Christians sing a hymn before dinner. Yeah. Christians eat around a dinner table and love one another and enjoy the 15, 20, 30, 40 minutes they're around the dinner table. They've, they've never seen that before. So what you're saying is being a pretender is over. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there, right? There's so many people that are just pretenders out here, right? They, they come to service. It, yeah, it's they one they, they could be a tighter, but at the same time, they're living a whole different life outside of church. And they wonder why, like when they want to bring somebody, they're like, dude, Two days ago, we just did X, Y, Z. But now you're inviting me? Like, Well, I think those days, I think I don't know if those days are over, but they won't work. They won't yeah. work anymore. But the day of seeing yourself as a second-class Christian and the professionals on Sunday are meant to convert your your your, your neighbors, Yeah, I think those days are probably over for right now. Yeah. They're, they're over. We're in a new time. And my desire is not to reach your neighbors when you bring your neighbors on Sunday morning. My desire is to reach your kid. Yeah. My desire is to reach you, is mm-hmm. to shape you yeah. so that you leave ready to work and build in one hand and to fight the, yeah. the ungodly philosophies mm-hmm. with the other hand so that you don't lose your children. I don't yeah. want to win your neighbor and lo- you lose your child. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I want Christian institutions that are multi generational that our church grows deep and wide, yeah, right? And that, that growth is slow. So that's the, the growth of an oak tree versus the growth of grass. But it's that generational growth. Yeah. That's good news. That goes, that goes really deep. Mm-hmm. So the contention here is that Ren makes is that we are now in a negative culture and that the, he, what he says is the missional strategy for the negative culture by evangelicals is yet to be determined. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, so far, this is... This is what we've chosen to do, yeah. um, because, you know, we know in the in the positive world, Billy Graham crushed it. Mm-hmm. In the neutral world, Tim Keller crushed it. Uh, 
Saddleback Church and Rick Warren crushed it. And a lot of these guys crushed it. Mm -hmm. In the negative world, we don't know who's going to crush it. We don't know what it's going to look like. Right now, we're, we're, we're focusing on deep discipleship on Sunday morning, formative worship, covenantal co covenant renewal worship. I'm, I'm shooting for your, for your children to shape them and to teach them what's right and what's wrong. Yeah. So they walk out with clear boundaries of what God says and what God, um, what God says no to do, yeah. what God's to do, right? I want to walk out. This is a man. This is a woman. I want them to walk out with clear boundaries and, and, and the missional engagement I think is going to be pushed to homes and missional communities. Yes. Yeah, you and what see. you sound like is like you're saying is like the bricklaying, right? Like you've been saying in our sermon series, um, it's the everyday work of the family doing the bricklaying, which doesn't sound like a great, you know, um, big massive church, you know, that is, you know, having thousands to 15 to, you know, 20,000 people, but it's the everyday um, life of following Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just going to say the follow-up book of Rosario Butterfield is the, um, Key, I want to say, comes with the house key. gospel comes with the house key, and it is a quite a remarkable story of then how she does use her home as a place. Her and her husband, but she's the primary one, just being obviously the one who's kind of that's her domain to use her home as a place where the gospel is lived out and seen within her community. Yep. Yeah. And and she is admittedly said it takes a lot of work, a lot of years, but she's seen fruit like mm -hmm. it happened in her life because. Somebody opened up their her their home to her. Yeah, and there you go. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. And and she homeschools her kids. Yep. Like, and she's she yep. knows what the the liberal agenda is is about. Yep. She yep. lived it right. Mm -hmm. And so, yep. yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully this was a blessing to you. Hopefully this was helpful. We're gonna again put the link to the article in the show notes so you can go and you can read it a little deeper. If you've got questions, please email me at justindean at sacredcitychurch.com. I would love to address them, maybe on a follow-up podcast. I'm sure you're going to be hearing more about this as we begin to work it out, what doing good gospel ministry looks like in a negative culture. So thank you guys. We are praying for you. God bless you.